0: I'm Pastor Mike Winger, and this is Bible Thinker, the program dedicated to thinking biblically about everything. So, um, thank you guys so much for joining me. Um, I'm Pastor Mike Winger. This is going to be um, a um, hopefully dispassionate analysis of the Passion Translation. I'm going to try to be as as calm as I can on this issue. I think this is actually a really, really big deal, and that we cannot... um, take it as just another translation of the Bible, whereas I could take, take say, the, the, the King James, the New King James, the NIV, ESV, NASB, the, the Christian Standard. The, I could take all these and just say, hey, I got a bunch of different translations of the Bible to compare and contrast and to learn. And that's great for people who don't speak original languages because we're able to say, oh, look, look at how different translator translated this thing. But the Passion Translation is a whole different animal. So you're about to get the full download on the Passion Translation. Um, is it good? Is it accurate? Is it safe? Um, who did it? Would I recommend it? And I'm not um, I'm not going to be blowing things out of proportion uh, in order to get views here, but I'll say this in all honesty, this translation has serious, very serious problems. Um, and I'm going to demonstrate that to you today. And I'd like to talk about the specific verses and how they're translated. I'm also going to talk about the the author or the translator. Normally... I will not even bring up the translator of a translation because who cares if the guy like, in all honesty, like who cares if the guy kicked his dog or or if he's, you know, something's wrong with him on some personal level, if we're evaluating his translation, he's just translating from one language to another. Um, Normally, I would just ignore issues related to him, but this is a different situation altogether. So here's a quick video so you can know what I mean when I say a different situation. Uh, This is Brian Simmons, the translator, speaking of how he um, got supernatural empowerment to make this translation, special visions and secrets that were going to be revealed in the Passion Translation of the Bible.
1: Also in 2009, Jesus enters the room you're in and gives you an assignment tell me what that was
2: what a wonderful night that was uh, again i was in my room and uh, the uh, presence of the lord became tangible heavy thick so powerful that I, I slipped out of bed and knelt there by my bed and the one i love came and uh commissioned me he says i i'm commissioning you to do this translation project and he breathes on me just blew his breath upon me I'll never forget that experience and he promised me that that he would give me help that he would stand with me and give me secrets of the Hebrew uh, language secrets of the Bible that would be for this last day's awakening and uh, that was the beginning of the passion translation project
1: did he tell you the name of the Bible no he didn't he just so where'd you come up with the word passion translation
2: well Uh, Years ago, I saw an angel named Passion in our church meeting, and uh, the Lord spoke to me, not, not audibly but internally, and said, that angel is with your ministry, it's the angel of Passion.
1: Now, I am so intrigued with this, this Bible uh, that you've done, the Passion Translation. Me too. Uh, And Jesus said he would give you secrets from the Hebrew language and downloads uh, as you were doing this. Did you see that?
2: Oh, my. I see that regularly as i translating the Bible and seeing the, the uh, original text and the secrets that are hidden there.
0: Okay, <laughs> this is a very distracting way to start off the stream. Um, but a couple things you got to here. This is a radio interview you just listened to where uh, he, he, I believe it was on the radio, where he's talking with Sid Roth and he's asking him about how he got it. Basically, he's, he feels he's been commissioned by God. He got a vision where God breathed on him to give him special empowerment to have supernatural revelation. In other words, not just skill as a translator, but revelation from God about new new ways of understanding the Bible, secrets in Hebrew and Greek. Um, and he, he talks about even naming the translation after an angel that he saw in some other vision. And now this is why I bring up Brian Simmons. Normally, I, I would just ignore a person, an individual. I don't care, you know, who did the translating. I care how good it is. But in this case, because Brian says that this translation comes from his own like supernatural enablement and he includes his visions in 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 this thing he names the thing after an angel he supposedly saw it's all wrapped up in Brian Simmons he is pretty much the sole translator he got he got some like recommendations from others but he's he's the guy who did the translating and um, and yeah so what we're going to do right now is we're just going to launch into a discussion of specific passages because i want to show you we'll, we'll we'll come back to brian's visions and some of the stuff he claims even even prophecies he's making about the future. We'll come back to that a little bit later, but I want you to understand this is not a normal translation. This is this is a whole different kind of game that we're dealing with here. Um, so let's look at the Passion Translation. Um, on the back cover of the translation itself, it says the following that you will, and this is right on the back cover, that you will encounter the heart of God. And it, it says about itself, the Passion Translation Bible is a new heart level translation. I underlined heart level there. It's a heart-level translation that expresses God's fiery heart of love to this generation using Hebrew, Greek, and Aramaic manuscripts. That's going to be a really big deal later, the Aramaic manuscripts part. Merging the emotion and life-changing truth of God's word. God longs to have his word expressed in every language in a way that unlocks the passion of his heart. This translation will trigger... Inside every reader, an overwhelming response to the truth of the Bible, unfolding the deep mysteries of the scriptures in the love language of God, the language of the heart, and that whole idea of language of the heart that will also be very important as I explain to you what's unique about this passion translation when we come to his translation methodology a little bit later. Um, but clearly. This is this is not claiming to be another Bible translation. It's claiming to have some supernatural power upon it. He claims it came from supernatural power in his own life and an anointing from God. And so either, here's our options, either Brian's right and we should all, like get just everyone should be using this translation. Like if these claims are true, then we should all be teaching from the Passion Translation. If the claims are false, no one should be teaching from it. I think the claims are false, um, and I think that we can say that not because I'm a cessationist, because I'm not a cessationist. I believe God can speak to us, although I do not, in all honesty, I don't believe that Brian is speaking truth, and I'll give some examples now. Let's look at the actual text itself. Here are some of the things, uh, the the passages. So I'm going to compare the Passion Translation to the ESV. Um, I've just been using the ESV recently. It's not the only translation I use. But um, it's a it's a fairly word-for-word translation, and it's meant to be studied. And so he claims the same is true about the Passion Translation. So let's, let's look at this. Here's Psalm 19 in the ESV. It says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There's no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun. Okay, so Psalm 19 is like, I love Psalm 19. It comes up several times in the Bible. It says great passage about how God speaks to us through creation. Okay, that's Psalm 19 uh, in whatever translation you want. It's that creation is declaring that God is and that he is glorious. And so beautiful verse. It's quoted later in Romans as well. Here's the same passage in Psalm 19, the passion translation. God's splendor is a telltale, is a tale that is told, excuse me. His testament is written in the stars. His testament is written in the stars. Space itself speaks his story every day through the marvels of the heavens. His truth is on tour in the starry vault of the sky, showing his skill in creation's craftsmanship. Each day gushes out its message to the next, night with night, whispering its knowledge to all, without a sound, without a word, without a voice being heard. And yeah, he's throwing rhymes in there. Um, Yet all, but that's not the real issue. Listen, here's the issue. Yet all the world can see its story everywhere. Its gospel is clearly read, so all may know. The Passion Translation has, has a new interpretation of Psalm 19, and the interpretation is that the gospel itself is written in the physical stars in the sky. Now, some people believe this, that the, the, that the actual ancient astrology looked up at the stars, saw constellations, and that those communicate the gospel. I know believers who believe it. That's fine. Let's just say maybe that's even true. That doesn't mean you're allowed to reinterpret the Bible and shove it into the, into Psalm 19. In the footnotes in Psalm 19, in the Passion Translation, he, he confirms this. This is what he means, right? Because he says, yeah, like the, you know, ancient gospel written in the stars stuff. And you can read it for yourself. Um, but again, with that in mind, gospel in the stars, right? It says, God's splendor is a tale that is told. His testament is written in the stars. And then verse 4 Everywhere, it's gospel is clearly read, so all may know. And no, the word gospel is not in the original. There's no word in the original that relates to the word gospel. But Brian apparently has the ability to bring in new words because he understands the secret meanings that we didn't understand before. And I'm not exaggerating. Those are going to be his words. I'll quote to you later on where he talks about how he's going to unlock secret meanings. And I already shared with you the vision he he talked about so there's so many verses to cover that's just psalm 19 here's galatians 2:20, 20 and, and this is this is one of my favorite memory verses actually but i've been crucified with christ it is no longer i who live but christ who lives in me in the life i now live in the flesh i live by faith in the son of god who loved me and gave himself for me that's the esv very similar to other translations but the passion translation says my old identity has been co-crucified with Messiah and no longer lives. Now notice a few things, right? Um, I have been crucified with Christ is no longer I. It's it's here. It's my old identity, not I. He's added a concept of old, my old identity, and I've been crucified with Christ is I've been co-crucified with Messiah. Now the word Messiah, he, he'll take and almost it seems randomly. You know, sometimes he translates Christ as Christ. Sometimes he translates it, it as Messiah. And sometimes the Passion translates it as the Anointed One or, or God's Anointed One. Um, and it seems random. Sometimes he'll do it in the same verse. He'll translate the Christos, the Greek word. He'll translate it two different ways. Um, why? Is there, a, is there a methodology to it? I think, it's, I think he thinks he's just being spirit-led. So my old identity has been co-crucified with Messiah and no longer lives. Okay, but now the text has changed. It's not, I no longer live. It's my old identity no longer lives. Now that may be your interpretation, but that's not what it says. So this would not be a translation. It would be an interpretation. For the nails of his cross crucified me with him. And this entire phrase is completely fabricated. It's nowhere in Galatians 2.20, right? Here's Galatians 2.20. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. My old identity has been co-crucified with Messiah, no longer lives, Total added phrase, for the nails of his cross crucified me with him. And now the essence of this new life is no longer mine. For the anointed one, okay, he was Messiah, now he's anointed one, uh, lives his life through me. We live in union as one. More added text. That's what the italics are there for, is to let you know he added this. Um, My new life is empowered by the faith of the son of God who loves me so much that he gave himself for me and dispenses his life into mine. Dispenses his life into mine? Where is, where is this? who loved me and gave himself for me. Where is this dispenses his life? Why aren't there, why aren't there a Brian? Why aren't there not italics on the phrase dispenses his life into mine? It's added. And this is another complaint I'll have. You think you're safe because he italicizes whenever he's adding text, but he doesn't. Sometimes he does. Sometimes he doesn't. That's a problem. You're not being, you're not being consistent. And so that confuses or possibly leads people to think things that aren't true. Now let's talk about some texts on bibliology. Um, I, 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 I've got a lot of issues with the Passion Translation and you guys know I've, i I, accept so many translations and encourage you reading lots of them. This is different. Okay. This is different. I will say that the Passion Translation, in my opinion, is more sectarian than the Jehovah's Witness New World Translation. That is, there's more places where he's adapting and changing the text than even they did in their version, which is saying something, um, so, bibliology is, is kind of an important thing. As Christians, we, um, we have what we believe about the Bible, and there are certain passages of Scripture that are very important um, when it comes to what we believe about the Bible, like the Bible is the inspired Word of God. When it comes to those passages, I, as I was reading through the Passion, I noticed that they're different. Uh, so, John 5, 39, you search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. It is they that bear witness about me, Jesus speaking here. He tells his uh, the the Pharisees, whoever he was speaking to in John five, that man. The Bible's really all speaking about him. The Old Testament is about Jesus. Um, they search the Scriptures for eternal life, but they'll find the Scriptures are speaking of him. Okay, John five thirty nine in the Passion, he goes, "You are busy analyzing the Scriptures, frantically poring over them in hopes of gaining eternal life. Everything you read points to me." Okay, I, I'm fine with everything you read points to me. That's fine, but why? Why are they frantic? He says, you search the scriptures, right? But rather than translate this, you search the scriptures, three words, including the the, four words. Rather than translating it that, he goes, you are busy analyzing the scriptures, frantically pouring over them. Now, why is this there? Because in the circles in which Brian runs, it's nice to take pot shots at people who care too much about theology. I'll just be honest with you. Um, And so here becomes now a text where Jesus is talking about how he's the fulfillment of scripture, that now it can be used as a text for knocking people because they're so concerned about the Bible. Mm, I hope you see the disconnect. Um, 2 Timothy 3.16, beautiful, beautiful, important passage about Um, what we believe about the Bible. It says, All scriptures breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. This word breathed out by God, theonoustos, it's, it's the idea that God inspired the scriptures. This is a very important word. Lots of ink has been spilled talking about what this word means. It's the inspiration of the scriptures. This verse is like one of the chief verses we use to say that the Bible's inspired of God. It's one of the biggest ones. Now, what does he say about it? 2 Timothy 3.16 in the Passion Translation, every scripture has been written by the Holy Spirit, the breath of God. Now, pause for a second. Let's, he's going to tell us later, I'll put it on the screen if I can remember, uh, that we can take the Passion Translation and have deep study with this text because it's so faithful to the original. What it says here is every scripture has been written by the Holy Spirit, the breath of God. Now he takes that word theonoustos, all scripture is God-breathed, right? He takes that and he turns it into um, has been written by the Holy Spirit, the breath of God. He's way expanded on the meaning, way beyond. But here's the problem I have. There is something called the dictation theory, where we believe that the Holy Spirit told them literally word for word what to write in the scriptures. Um, that would be the idea that it's all been written by the Holy Spirit. This is like a wrong bibliology. This is not what we believe about the text. We believe the writers were inspired, right, so that the writings are then inspired. But we're not saying that, like, every word was dictated by God. That's actually, like, a, a, a Muslim belief about the Quran, that every word was dictated. But rather, we believe there was, right, Theonustas, It was God inspiring by his Holy Spirit these things. So this is a problem, like... Every Yeah, okay, I'll move forward. Um, it will empower you by its instruction and correction, giving you the strength to take the right direction and leading you deeper into the path of godliness. Hey, does that preach well? That preaches super well. Does it capture the meaning of the original? No. Um, I've taught this passage many times and anybody who has goes, yeah, no, no, there's, there's specific things it's trying to communicate and you just stripped it of half of that meaning and changed part of it. Um, and then at verse 17, he says, then you will be God's servant, fully mature and perfectly prepared to Fulfill any assignment God gives you. I'll come in a minute to all of these passages where Brian adds terminology that's part of his like hyper-focused, miracle-focused group where they're all about miracles, signs, and wonders. And, and I'm not opposed to those things, right? But I'm definitely opposed to the way some people do it. Um, and, uh, and I think it's not s- safe, healthy, wise, or true. Um, but, but there's terminology in that, in that circle, And this assignment God gives you, fulfill the assignment God gives you, he adds that phrase from their terminology book instead of "equipped for every good work. That's it. Like you're a man of God, you'll be equipped for every good work, but there's no assignment and there's no that God gave you. It's just good works that you're equipped for. Okay. Um, Proverbs 30 verses 5 and 6, it says, every word of God proves true. He's a shield to those who take refuge in him. And in the Passion Translation, it says, Every promise from the faithful God is pure and proves to be true. He is a wraparound shield of protection for all his lovers who run to hide in him. Do you just notice the size difference between those two verses? Brian will add a lot, a lot to the Bible. It's like the Amplified Bible in the sense that it's it's like one verse becomes a paragraph. Every word of God proves true becomes not every word of God, but every promise from the faithful God. Every promise. Okay, so not every word of God, now I'm talking about scripture, but every promise from God. Okay, well now I'm talking about promises from God, which could be just certain parts of the Bible or perhaps personal revelations and things that have happened to me in my own heart and life. Um, Do you see how the bibliology is different in this book? That's one of the things I notice consistently. Let's look at another example of where the bibliology is different in the Passion. Uh, Psalm 1, verses 1 and 2. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. That's the Torah of God, the law of God. The Passion Translation doesn't say that they delight in God's law or, or God's word. It says, what delight comes to those who follow God's ways. They won't step in with... Walk in step with the wicked, nor share the sinner's way, nor be found sitting in the scorner's seat. Their pleasure and passion is remaining true to the word of I am. Well, what's the word of I am? Is that the identity of God? Or is that Jesus? What, what am I? I'm meditating day and night in his true revelation of light. I'm not meditating day and night in the Torah, in the Old Testament law. In Psalm 1, as it really says, instead of meditating in God's true revelation of light, which seems to be, I guess, Jesus or maybe something more nebulous than that. Do you see there's a consistent idea here where we're not allowing the Bible to give us clear bibliology that keeps us sort of anchored in the scriptures to let the Bible be the Bible and be the authority of God revealed to mankind about what to believe and how to live. It's moving away from that. And it's consistent. It's consistent. It's not, I, I don't think it's an oops because I think it happens consistently. In Psalm 5.3, he says, O Lord, in the morning you hear my voice. In the morning I prepare a sacrifice for you and watch. But, but look, at, look at how, this is not bibliology here, but look at how he um, adds to the text here. Passion Translation says, At each and every sunrise you will hear my voice as I prepare my sacrifice of prayer to you. Every morning I lay out the pieces of my life on the altar and wait for your fire to fall upon my heart. There are italics here, but there aren't enough. Okay, this is not. This is just adding lots of stuff, and part of it's preach. You know, preaching points as though a pastor can grab the Passion Translation and go, "Ooh, look, I've got more preaching points now." This will make it easier to, to sermonize this this passage of Scripture, which um, I think is a. That's not what the Bible's for. The Bible's not there for you to sermonize it. Um, and sometimes, as a pastor who teaches, sometimes we're tempted to try to. Make something fit into the a little box called sermon and it doesn't fit in the box. And my thought is just teach it as it is. I don't have the right to change what the scripture says. In John 1 verses 1 and 2, this is just, you know, this is a very important scripture about the, about who Jesus is. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. And these words are all chosen very carefully by John and by the Holy Spirit. The the, the way this is written is intentional. God wants it this way, Right. He says, in the very beginning, now it's the very beginning, because it's a passionate translation, so it has more, you know, adjectives. In the very beginning, the living expression was already there. That's, in the text, in the Greek, it just says, was the word. In the beginning, was the word. Just, he was, he existed. But it's the living expression, not the word. The living expression was already there. It's the word logos in Greek, translating it living expression is not a translation it's a theological interpretation added into the text and the living expression was with god yet fully god they were together face to face in the very beginning now it's face to face um there's problems here for those who are trying to very carefully do something called christology understanding who jesus is um the phrase fully god the the phrase face to face um In the very beginning, um, it's anyways, I'll move on. Let's talk about terminology. Um, there's a question in, in the, in the FAQ on the Passion Translation website, in the FAQ, there's a question about whether it's denominational or sectarian. That's the question. And, um, I thought I had it on the screen. I think I might be able to bring it up later. Hmm. I don't see it there, though. So the question is, is it denominational? And he and he's it, on the website. It's very clear. No, we're not denominational. This is not about any particular Christian group. Like we're just trying to, you know, make the word of God available to all people. But I found in studying this translation that there's all sorts of terminological additions. What I mean by this is this. Um, let me get big for a minute. Inside of the signs and wonders, I shouldn't just call it that, inside of... The particular signs and wonders movement that Brian is a part of, um, which does include uh, groups like Bethel and, um, and and it's a loose it's a loose association. This group it's very loose, so I, I don't call them. Some people call them the NAR, the New Apostolic Reformation. I don't use that terminology because they don't use that terminology, and I get that it's convenient because you can go up oh, they're NAR and so are they. And convenient or not, I don't know that it's accurate. But are they part of an apostolic movement? Yes. Do I have more on that in my uh, video on Bethel that I did uh, a while back and hopefully it was gracious, is meant to be kind and loving, but to show some errors that are there um, and some problems. Well, he's part of this movement and in that movement, they have tons of terminology like the word release um, and, and, uh, and glory and all of these words that take on extra meaning, but they're not really found in that sense in the Bible. The thing that Passion Translation does that I think other reviewers don't notice is this Passion Translation adds terms to the Bible so that it will make the Bible look like it's more like this sort of offshoot movement of Christianity. It'll make it, you know, you can have all your phraseologies release and loose and I prophesy over you uh, the, the miraculous power of God, the miracle working dynamite power of God, like these phrases that they use a lot they find their way into the text of the bible to validate the movement it's an incredibly sectarian translation let me give you examples now of what i mean romans 12:6 it says having then gifts that differ according to the grace given to us let us use them if prophecy in proportion to our faith now i have a teaching on romans 12 and i try to teach it just as it is verse by verse and i encourage prophecy even in it but in romans 12:6 in the passion translation it says, God's marvelous grace imparts, that word impart is something that's, a, a, a you know, a phrase in that group, imparts to each one of us, um, each one of us varying gifts and ministries that are uniquely ours. Look at all the additions that are here. So if God has given to you the grace gift of prophecy, you must activate your gift by using the proportion of faith that you have to prophesy activating your gift that's another terminological addition let me show you more john 16 7 nevertheless i tell you the truth it is to your advantage that i go away for if i do not go away the helper will not come to you but if i go i will send him to you here's the the passions version of john 16 7 but here's the truth it's to your advantage that i go away for if i do not go away the divine encourager will not be released to you but after I depart, I will send him to you. In this movement, there's a lot of releasing of things. I release the Holy Spirit. I release a flood of God's grace upon you. I release God's forgiveness. I release healing for your sin. That word release is super important. I wish I had a digital version of the passion so I could just take the terminology of the group and just look up release and see all the texts that come up um, where he adds the term. Um, So there's... It's very sectarian. Well, I'll give you more examples. 1 Corinthians 14.30, if a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. This is about um, how prophecy is to be handled and in the church and he, he gives rules about prophecy in 1 Corinthians 14. Well, 1 Corinthians 14.30, the passion says, but if someone receives a revelation while someone else is still speaking, the one who speaks, who's speaking should conclude and allow the one with fresh revelation an opportunity to share it. That is a terminological phrase. Now, here's what, like a scholar evaluating the Passion Translation would probably never notice this. But having been exposed somewhat to this sort of circle, um, not, not in my own church, but in other churches that I've, I've, I've visited and people I've known, um, I realized fresh revelation is a key phrase. See, now it validates the sort of weird version of Christianity that's coming out of some of these groups. Fresh revelation. Yeah, there it is. It's right there in the text now, instead of just in our group. Colossians 121. And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of uh, body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Um, You know, I, I'm going to forget if I don't do this now. So let me pause for a second. Two things to tell you. Um, Hi, if you have comments and you're watching live, put them in the comment section and my friend AJ is going to I'm going to gather those comments and I'll try to answer them at the end of the stream as time allows. I can't guarantee it, but I'll do what I can. Um, also, I'm doing a giveaway today. Speaking of like wanting to know the Word of God better, I'm giving away a, a, a free copy of Accordance, which is a Bible software, a very good Bible software with lots of different resources, including uh, ancient language resources, Greek and Hebrew, stuff like that. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask a question at the very end of the stream and then I'll watch the comments and whoever can answer that question, um, they, will, they will win the Accordance software. So you have to hang in for the very end to be able to catch that um, and that's when I'll be able to watch the comments. So that's just kind of throw that out there. That was donated uh, by a friend of mine, Ryan Tanner, who just wanted to bless somebody out there. So, uh, Colossians 1, again, 21 and 22. In the ESV, and you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he's now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. In the Passion Translation, it says, even though you were once distant from him, living in the shadows of your evil thoughts and actions, he reconnected you back to himself. Reconnected you back to himself. That's an interesting concept. He released his supernatural peace to you. Total terminological addition. God's, re- I'm releasing God's supernatural peace upon you, and now I have scripture to support it. Thank you, Passion Translation. Through the sacrifices of his own body as the sin payment on your behalf. Um, anyway, there's more. It's just a bunch of additions that are happening there. Hebrews eleven thirty-five. Women receive back their dead by resurrection. This is about the Hall of Faith passage. I'm actually in the middle of teaching this right now. Um, so it'll, it was uploaded yesterday, and the next part will be uploaded next Monday. Uh, some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. So the women had received people back from, uh, from the dead by resurrection. The Passion says, Faith-filled women saw their dead children raised in resurrection power. Why does it say Power because the phrase resurrection power is is a phrase that happens in these circles in their preaching the thing that first bothered me about the Passion when I had only read just a tiny bit of it was that I was noticing all these terminological additions and they are very consistent I have not even read the whole thing I have not gone through all of it but it's very consistent it's a way of legitimizing a distortion of spirituality I don't know how else to put it I'm not attacking those people. I'm not mad at those people. I don't hate those people. I think that this is just the fact of the matter. And this is why I'm really concerned about this translation. 1 Corinthians 14, 22. Thus tongues are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers. While prophecy is a sign not for unbelievers, but for believers. Pretty simple about the function of tongues and prophecy. The Passion says, So then tongues are not a sign for believers, but a miracle for unbelievers. They're a miracle for unbelievers. Prophecy, on the other hand, is not for unbelievers, but a miracle sign for believers. So now I've got miracle sign, and that fits their terminology. Um, that's all I'm saying is you're changing the Bible to fit your sect. That's what that is. First Corinthians 14.25, the secrets of his heart are disclosed, and so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. This is what happens when um, an unbeliever enters into, according to the context, an unbeliever enters into the body. Um, to, to visit for a service and people prophesy and then right they prophesy and what happens as he hears them telling him about himself right the secrets of his heart are disclosed they find out what's really going on in his heart so falling on his face he will worship God and declare that God is really among you um, for the intimate secrets of his heart will be brought to light he will be mystified that's their translation and fall fall face down in worship and say God is truly among you now he's he's mystified the, I think the context actually of First Corinthians 14 is that he's actually falling on his face um, in a sense of repentance and in a sense of finding out something's wrong with his life. But in these circles, you don't prophesy anything negative. You never say anything negative. It's like, a, it's like an artificial rule. Like, don't prophesy negative stuff, even though that happens in the Bible a lot. Um, and so to make sure that it's not negative, right, he'll be mystified now. And so uh, I'll move on. Um, Oh, for the sake of time, I just cannot get into all of these. All right, Matthew, uh, the Lord's Prayer. Um, Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Okay, this is going to be just three verses. Listen to it. You know this prayer, and then we'll hear it in the Passion Translation. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. The Passion says, pray like this. Our Father dwelling in the heavenly realms. Now we got the word realm thrown in there. And the word realm is thrown in several places because they like to talk about realms as part of the um, sort of spiritual views they have in this group. May the glory of your name be the center on which our lives turn. What? Why are there no italics here? (laughs) The center on which our lives turn? Hallowed be your name. No, no, no. It's not just hollow be your name. May the glory of your name be the center on which our lives turn. That's not a translation. That's not a paraphrase. That's addition. Manifest your kingdom realm. There is it. again. And cause your every purpose to be fulfilled on earth just as it is fulfilled in heaven. Manifest your kingdom realm. God's in a heavenly realm. Manifest your kingdom realm. This is, this is all terminology. That look, Watch my Bill Johnson video if you want to get more on that. Um, we acknowledge you as our provider of all we need each day. Forgive us the wrongs we have done as we ourselves release forgiveness to those who have wronged us. There it is again. More terminolo- terminological additions. Release forgiveness. We don't just forgive people. We release forgiveness to them. That's different, isn't it? It is different. And it's not what the text says. Matthew 9, 29, Then he touched their eyes, saying, according to your faith, be it done to you. But But look at how he slightly changes it. Then Jesus put his hands over their eyes and said you will have what your faith expects that's just a preaching point for the um, the faith healing movement you will have what your faith expects Uh, just slightly change it because then it makes it a lot better for our preaching Galatians 1 3 grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ Galatians 1 3 in the Passion I pray over you a release of the blessings of God's undeserved kindness and total well-being total well-being Where's total well-being? Grace and peace. To them, total well-being because it's part of a prosperity, you know, pillar that they have in that movement as well. But praying over you a release of the blessings of God. It goes on. Ephesians 4.29 Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, and anger, and clamor, and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Okay, the reason why I read three verses instead of just the one we're going to focus on, the context is, you would grieve the Spirit if you weren't doing what's in verse 29 and 31, right? Grieving the Spirit, in this case, would be corrupting talk, would be hurting other believers around you, dividing from them, being bitter, wrathful, anger, clamorous, slanderous, because that would grieve the Holy Spirit, but not in the Passion Translation. Verse 30 in particular, it says, The Holy Spirit of God has sealed you in Christ Jesus until you experience your full salvation. So never grieve the Spirit of God or take for granted his holy influence in your life. In Brian's view, grieving the Spirit means that you are not being influenced by the Holy Spirit enough. And by that, they ultimately mean signs, wonders, miracles, prophecy, healings, tongues. It's all signs and wonders. So this verse has a different meaning in their particular group. And what he's done is he's changed the meaning of the text. This is verse 30 in Brian's translation, right? This is verse 30 in a normal translation. Look at how much added content there is. Does that not concern you? And it adds content that literally gives a wrong interpretation of the passage. Now, I agree. I don't want to stop the Holy Spirit from working in my life. But don't try to make this passage say something it doesn't say. Grieving the Holy Spirit here is breaking the unity that God has created with other Christians. It's division. It's, it's sinful attitudes and actions towards other, other believers in Christ. That, that would be grieving the Holy Spirit. Um, Luke 12, verse 11 and 12, it says, And when they bring you before the synagogues and rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. Now, just being taught, God, uh, Jesus is predicting per, uh, persecution, and he's like, "Don't worry about what you'll say; like, God's going to tell you what to say at the time." Here's the Passion translation, and remember this: when people accuse you before everyone and forcefully drag you before the religious leaders and authorities, do not be troubled. Don't worry about defending yourself or be concerned about how to answer their accusations. Simply be confident and allow the Spirit of wisdom access to your heart. What? where, where does, okay, nowhere in the Greek does it say allow the spirit of wisdom access to your heart. This is a preaching point from the signs and wonders movement. You're not moving enough in the spirit because you're not open enough to it because you have to somehow in some way that's hard to explain, open your heart to allow the Holy Spirit. And I mean, I I say this as someone who's like I'm like, in my video on prophecy, I'm like telling you, pray for prophecy, seek for the gifts of the spirit. Don't, don't ignore the fact that God is, you know, I'm not a cessationist, right? But these guys make me sound like a cessationist because they go off the tracks, they go off the rails and the rails are scripture. So the, so the scripture brings us back. When I, I remember when I had years ago, when I was a kid, I went to a very um, what some might call a hyper charismatic church. And I didn't know right or wrong of it. I just thought if that's what God has, I want it too. And I never really experienced it, but I was there and I got to see it. And I was kind of bummed out. Like I didn't get what they all got. Years later, I went to a Calvary chapel and they were going through first Corinthians 14 and they were teaching the passage. And I, I remember it blew me away. I thought, Hey, there's rules. Hey, wait, there's rules about how this is supposed to happen. And I thought first thought was, I got to go back to that church and tell them about first Corinthians 14, And I was just, I was so naive, right? I was, I was uh, just unaware. And then it hit me. Hey, wait, they've got pastors. They got Bibles in the, in the church. They're just ignoring this stuff. And the thing that brought me back to a grounded view of spiritual gifts is the scripture. The scripture brought me back. This is why I don't like the Passion Translation. What could bring you back won't bring you back because he's changing it. Matthew chapter four, verse four but he answered it is written man shall not live by bread alone but by every word that comes from the mouth of god listen to how he changes this text jesus responding to satan here while being tempted in the passion it says the scripture says bread alone will not satisfy but true life is found in every word which every word which constantly goes forth from god's mouth i don't even have to speculate on why He says this because I saw in one of his videos and I'm sorry if I didn't, I didn't uh, catch it. I didn't have time to grab it. But, but he says that this Matthew 4, 4 passage, the reason he translated it this way is because he wants people to know that it's not just about reading the Bible. It's about what God is saying today. So he takes Jesus's words that are about the scriptures and he makes them about things that him and his group are saying today. Do not read the Passion Translation. It will muddy your brain. It will confuse you and you won't be able to think clearly about these issues. It's not, it's not just a poor translation. It's a translation that's sectarian and purposely meant to change theology so that it will fit their particular group. But, but they're not interested in changing the identity of Jesus or even the nature of the gospel. The changes are meant to be towards signs, wonders, and miracles. As far as I can tell, I mean, maybe there's something wrong with the deity of Christ in there. I, I don't know. Um, so I'm not saying it's perfect. I haven't read every passage. In 2 Peter 1.19, it says this. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed. This is a passage along the same lines as the last one. He changed it on purpose for the same reason. Um, he wants to elevate modern day revelation is the idea. Um, we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. The Passion Translation. And so we've been given the prophetic word, the written message of the prophets, made more reliable and fully validated by the confirming voice of God on the Mount of Transfiguration. Er, Hit the brakes. Now I get why he's suggesting that this is related to the Mount of Transfiguration. That's not a bad interpretation to see the relation, but how he adds to the text is bad and it changes the meaning. He goes, look, we have the written word, but because of the Mount of Transfiguration and what God said, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased, hear him. Because of that event, now the old written word is more reliable and fully validated. The message of the prophets. That old text is now better. What? That doesn't... What if there's a new Mount of Transfiguration? What if there's a new moment where God speaks and we can make the, old, the New Testament maybe even better and more validated? Yeah. And you will continue to do well if you stay focused on it for this prophetic message is like a piercing, this prophetic message is like a piercing light shining in a gloomy place until the dawning of a new day. When the morning star rises in your hearts, you must understand this at the outset. Interpretation of scriptural prophecy requires the Holy Spirit for it does not originate from someone's own imagination. Apparently it does because you're able to just add to the text phrases like requires the Holy Spirit. So here's what you need to know about this. Now now I feel like I'm talking about this apostolic signs and wonders movement. They don't throw out the Bible. What they do is they say that people who don't agree with them generally speaking, they have only the Bible, but they're lacking the Holy Spirit. So they're like, no, we we believe the Bible, but it's, it gets better. The Bible gets better when you have fresh revelation from the Holy Spirit today. It requires the Holy Spirit. And these dry people that just want to, you know, interpret every word and understand every verse and look it up in the original language. They always make, and, make fun of and mock those people. Um, it kind of breaks my heart. Um, Yes, it's a problem. Okay, one of the other issues that comes up in the Passion Translation. I told you you were getting the full download today. <laughs> Here's the full download. Okay, one of the other issues in the Passion Translation is this. Uh, Brian Simmons has sort of a, a, an issue with the way women are treated in the Bible, and he wants to change that. And so one of those things is um, Proverbs 31. It's about the virtuous woman. He sees it. Maybe he sees it as a burden. So he reinterprets the whole thing. Um let me see because i actually i'm sure i've got this this somewhere no not there ah here it is okay listen to what he says about proverbs
3: I, i know that sounds funny but i'm not going to hide it i believe god gave me the key to the book of proverbs to unlock riddles parables dark speech, dark sayings, the Proverbs of the wisest man on the earth. He came, the Lord spoke to me one time and He said, do you think if the wisest man I ever put upon the earth wrote a book, Proverbs, that it would have more in it than you think? And that put me on a quest to say absolutely. He embedded some secrets. There are some things in there that only the spirit of wisdom can unlock. And the immature, the foolish one, which is referred to throughout the book of Proverbs, the foolish one, it's a closed book. Proverbs is just a a boring do's and don'ts, and you got to do this, and you got to do that. But to the illumined heart, to the one drenched with the spirit of wisdom, I'm telling you, like Proverbs 31, I just ruined Mother's Day for like millions of Christians.
0: Okay, I'll explain Proverbs 31 in just a second. So he's like, I have the key, I have the secrets, and everybody else, they think Proverbs is just do's and don'ts. It's so boring. Side note, right? Do's and don'ts aren't boring. If you complain about the Bible having do's and don'ts, you're just rebellious. Like, you just have a rebellious heart. Stop. Like, God says, do this, and you're going to complain that it has the word do in the sentence. I don't understand. Um, but Proverbs 31, he says that the Proverbs 31 woman is actually, none of us have realized this and actually commentators have suggested this for years. I just think they're wrong. They say that it's actually the bride of Christ, right? So, um, Proverbs 31, 10 in the ESV, it says an excellent wife who can find, she's far more precious than jewels. His version, the passion says, who could ever find a wife like this one? She's a woman of strength and mighty valor. She is full of wealth and wisdom. And then he adds this, the price paid for her was greater than many jewels. Not she has price value above jewels. The price paid for her. Ah, because he's making it into an allegory about the church being purchased by Jesus. And here's the dividing line. Some of you go, ooh, I like that. Well, if you like it, get the Passion Translation. But if you care about truth, don't, right? It's, it's, it's not okay to change the Bible to be more appealing, to change the Bible to be more about Jesus to change the Bible to be more beautiful. That's not okay. It's not because you're not supposed to change what God has given us. In verse uh, 14, the ESV, it says she's like the merchant ships, but the Passion Translation, making her into the church, says she gives out revelation truth to feed others. She gives out revelation truth to feed others. Um, Verse 16, it actually says she considers a field and buys it with a fruit Of her hands, she plants a vineyard, but in the Passion Translation, verse 16 says, she sets her heart upon a nation and takes it as her own, carrying it within her. She labors there to plant the living vines. Not only is this going way beyond the meaning of the text, but this is now about their view of eschatology. They think that we're to disciple not just people, but nations, that Christians will kind of take over nations. And so this is just putting that in the text. So now we can take their eschatology and find it in the Bible. He's embedding his particular sect of Christianity into the text. It's not okay. No bookstore should hold this book. No Christian should have it even as a second, third, or fifth translation because it's not faithful. One of the things Brian says he's learned from his revealed secrets, as this, because God revealed secrets to him. Um, is that we've all been understanding Ephesians 5 incorrectly, and so let me read to you. Ephesians five twenty four. He doesn't like the idea of women submitting to their husbands, and so he says, Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to, in everything to their husbands, and pretty much every translation is going to put, put that pretty much the same way, right? But in the Passion translation, it says, In the same way the church is devoted to Christ, let the wives be devoted to their husbands in everything. Now for this, I thought, You don't know Greek. Most people don't know Greek, aren't going to be able to go look up the word, but here we go. Let's actually look up the word. Um, <clears throat> in the Greek, the word translated submit, here's what, six, seven, six Greek resources um, right on the page. I'll just let you read them, right? But they all mean the same thing, to subject yourself, to place yourself in submission. It's it, the, the, the sense that the word is in, it's not being done to her. The wife is never being put in submission. That's called abuse, right? That's abuse. But the text does say that the wife is to submit voluntarily to her husband. She's doing it to herself. No one's doing it to her. All right? To submit to the orders and directives, to obey, to be obedient, uh, to bring under control would be in a different sense. Same word, different way of using it. Um, <clears throat> Greek English dictionary says be subject, submit to, be under the authority of, to place or rank under, to obey. And it goes on. No, on a side note, you're actually reading my notes right now. Um, <clears throat> I have teaching on husbands and wives, and um, there is a protection for wives. You can look at these online, um, how to be a, a, a good husband, as well as uh, what, the, what the Bible really says about wives submit. I have videos on that online, and I go into details on that. But the protection for the wife doesn't happen when we tell her, no, don't submit to your husband, and we change the text. The protection for the wife comes when the husband does his job to love her self-sacrificially and put her needs above his own. I mean, you will never be abusive when you love your wife more than yourself. You will never be abusive when you take self-sacrifice as your calling as a husband and realize that your pride is never an excuse to be rude or cruel or mean or um, or a jerk <laughs> or anything else. So there is protection for wives, sure, but not by changing the text of Scripture. This will damage marriages. God has a way in which he set it up and we need to keep it that way. All right, more. I told you this movement that Brian's a part of is an apostolic movement. They believe they have modern apostles and these apostles aren't just like missionaries. They're not just ones who are sent out. That's what the word apostolo means. You're, you're sent out. But they're apostles a little bit more like, like, um, like Paul was and Peter was and James was, you know, they're like those guys, those kinds of apostles. And I don't agree, but it's important to them And so he put it in the text. Ephesians 4.13, what it actually says. It says that God has given us apostles, prophets, pastor, teachers. It gives a list of these different, different ministries. And then it says how long. It says until we all attain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Look what's added in verse 13 in the Passion Translation. These grace ministries will function. And then it goes on until we all attain oneness in the faith and dot, 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 right? Why is this a big deal? Because Ephesians 4 is the hotly debated passage when we're dealing with this apostolic movement. Are apostles for today? Are apostles supposed to be in the church in the same sense they were in the early parts of the book of Acts? Is that supposed to happen right now? And Ephesians 4 is a debated passage. Well, the additions in Ephesians 4.13 make it irrefutable. Absolutely, these grace ministries will function until we all attain. All of them will. Not just pastor, teacher, not that. No, all of them will. So this is apostolic teaching. I'd also like to read to you a footnote. In Acts 14.14, 14, there's a footnote in the Passion Translation. Let me just bring bring us to it real quick. And I just want you, to, I thought, well, what if people don't, realize the nuance of what I'm saying um, so I'll read the footnote where he interprets it for you so acts 14:14 14, 14. where is that it's in the Bible I know it is okay so I should have I should have marked it but here it is um, here's his footnote from the passion translation the book of Acts clearly states that there were more than 12 apostles who were recognized by the church. Barnabas is described multiple times as an apostle. Ephesians 4, 11 through 13, that's the verse I just read to you, says that apostles and prophets will minister and equip the body of Christ until we are complete and restored into Christ's fullness. Why do you think Bill Johnson endorsed this book? Why do you think it's going all, it's, if, if, if you're part of this apostolic movement, this is in your bookstore, if not your pews, if not the one you're teaching from on Sunday mornings. Um, So that's adding to the text. There's another example in Jude 3. You you may have already read it. If you're like me, you're just reading all this before I get there. Um, Jude 3, it says in the ESV, Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. And that phrase, the faith, I love this stuff. It's the doctrines we believe as Christians and you're to fight for it. We were once given Christianity. There's no additions later on. You fight for it. End of story. The issue closed, right? Jude 3. Dearly loved friends, I was fully intending to write to you about our amazing salvation. Because it's the Passion Translation, so more adjectives. We all participate in, but felt the need instead to challenge you to vigorously defend and contend for the beliefs that we cherish. For the beliefs that we cherish. For God, through the apostles has once for all entrusted the tr- these truths to his holy believers. So that we don't get that the faith is finally and securely put in place and now we hold to it. Instead, we have cherished truths and we have the idea of through the apostles. This fits perfectly for the, this, this apostolic group and their teaching. Um, there's other passages where preaching points are added. Um, I'm gonna move, I'm on, honestly, I'm, I'm going to move forward because of the sake of time. You can look at these if you want. Um, you just pause the screen. There's places where there's just straight misinterpretations of scripture, um, which I've already actually showed some, but here's one. Galatians 2.20. I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I love this verse. think I already read it, didn't I? Yes, I did. How did I get that one in there multiple times? Never mind. Moving forward. Philippians 2, seven. it says about Christ that he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Well, here's the passion. Instead, he emptied himself of his outward glory. Okay? His outward glory by reducing himself to the form, reducing himself to the form of a lowly servant, he became human. This is interpretation of the text. And it's added concepts and changed words. And why? Why? I don't know why I don't have to know his heart here in this case I don't understand the the reasoning behind it but there are this is a really important theological passage and to change the meaning of it is fiddling with theology Philippians 2 9 therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name his version says because of that obedience God exalted him and multiplied his greatness that's another may God multiply your greatness that's kind of one of those slogans as well Uh, he has now been given the greatest of all names interesting. Okay. I do not have the time to go over all these. I knew, I I knew that I would have to skip forward. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to jump. Yeah. I'm going to jump up to the concept of the Aramaic stuff. Um, so let me talk to you guys about, um, where's he getting all these translations from? That's the idea. And ultimately he's getting it from the Aramaic. Um, on the website and in his interviews he says this phrase he says Greek speaks to the mind while Aramaic and Hebrew speak powerfully to the heart this is really important to Brian Simmons it's like you know Aramaic is, is is a language that speaks more to your heart and I think if you I think that's silly okay but let's just grant it fine Aramaic speaks to the heart now the actual Bible was written in in, in the Old Testament we have Hebrew mostly but we have other we have Aramaic in there we have a couple other things as well Um, but the New Testament was written in Greek. It's just Greek. Occasionally an Aramaic word pops in, but we do know that the language of Jesus was probably Aramaic. That's something we we do know. And this is going to get a little confusing, I think, but I'm going to do my best to explain it. Brian gives the impression as though he, in his translation, is getting you back to the language of Jesus, the Aramaic that Jesus spoke. The implication is that when he, in his footnotes, says Aramaic, that word Aramaic comes up, and it does come up a lot. Here's an example of just one page. (laughs) Um, When he says Aramaic, he's going to the original language Jesus spoke and it's like more original than the Greek. And it's true that the Aramaic was more original than the Greek, right? Jesus spoke Aramaic. But here's here's the fiddly part, the confusing part. Brian makes it sound like he's going to the original Aramaic Jesus spoke, but we don't have the original Aramaic. What he's really going to is a translation in Aramaic of the Greek, so the Bible was written in Greek. The apostles translated for us what Jesus says into Greek. Write it down for us. Hundreds of years later, they translate it from Greek into Aramaic. He's using that Aramaic. It's a doc. It's a document or a group of documents called the Peshitta. So he uses the Peshitta, a translation of the Greek into Aramaic, hundreds of years after Jesus. My point here is these 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 footnotes where he's constantly saying the Aramaic, the Aramaic. It, he makes it sound like the, the Aramaic is actually um, the original, the original writings, but in reality, it's not. It's not. So let me give an example from his website, from the Passion Translation uh, Frequently Asked Questions portion of the website. It says, Dr. Simmons compared both Greek and Aramaic, and here he acknowledges, translations. He calls them translations. Throughout this monumental project, you may consider the Passion Translation as a synthesis of the two. So we have Greek, the original Greek language, and we have an Aramaic translation of the Greek language. That's that's honest. You may consider the passion a synthesis, right? Then when he has resorted to using the alternative Aramaic text, which may vary minimally from the Greek, you will notice an explanation, explanatory footnote to let you know. As I showed you, they're all over the book. We believe using the original ancient Aramaic sources in addition to the original Greek ones adds an important lens. Do you, do you get what they just did? They've on one hand acknowledged that the Aramaic is a translation, but then a sentence later they're, they're talking about it. Like it's the original Aramaic. Jesus spoke Aramaic. It's the original Aramaic. That's, that's the concept. Now there was actually a blog done where, um, a guy who actually knows these languages, (laughs) um, I've linked it in the video description, a blog, um, on thinktheology.co.uk um, and the blog's called, uh, the article's called what's wrong with the passion translation. And in it, um, Brian Simmons is, is called the task for several things. And one of them is he's called to task because he quotes two, um, two specific experts in ancient languages, Bird and Keener. And he quotes these two guys to support his translation. Now, Bird and Keener, it turns out, didn't like being quoted like that. So in the, in the article, he says, Hey, I, t- I contacted Bird. He says, don't quote me like that. I know this sounds, like, this sounds like a drama, I'm telling you guys here, but this is what happened. It's all in the articles below. Um, afterwards, Brian responded to the article and he goes, hey, I won't, I'll remove the quotes. I didn't mean to take their quotes out of context because basically Bird and Keener were talking about Aramaic, the language, and he quotes them like they're talking about the Peshitta, the Aramaic translation, which is what he does. It's a switcheroo and he does it throughout the whole translation. And he says, I'll just remove their quotes. That was like two years ago or maybe it was one year ago. The quotes are still on the FAQ. It's still online on his website. He still quotes Keener and Bird out of context. And he said he wouldn't do that. I think that's a problem. Um, so that's a lot of information. Let me kind of break down a few more things and then we'll get to your guys' questions and we'll, give a, we'll do our giveaway. The translator's job, right? What is the translator's job? Is to communicate the meaning of the original. That's the whole job of a translator. You're just supposed to get across what the original meant. Right? But he seeks to improve the original and he uses Aram- an Aramaic translation, but he uses it selectively. He can't even say, because uh, there's groups that think, oh, the Peshitta really represents some old older tradition and it's, it's more authoritative than the Greek. But he doesn't think that, obviously, because he just uses it whenever he wants. There's no consistency to it. He just uses it, it seems, whenever he wants to, um, to make his points, to make the changes, to make a, a sectarian translation. So what this comes down to is... Um, whether you trust Brian or not, whether you think that 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 this describes Brian, I mean, is is this what really happens in his translation? I
3: want the Holy Spirit to be my best friend, like intimate lovers. That the Spirit would would breathe into me, and as I exhaled, it becomes revelation to the people of God.
0: Do you do you trust that that's what's happening with Brian's? And I've already got people like. Oh, I, I hold on. This is. The, on his website he says this is not a sectarian translation i'm not trying to recruit people to my version of christianity right but this is what he says in uh when he's preaching amongst a crowd of people who agree with him
3: people like slamming it i got a whole web pages telling how i'm the devil you know uh, they listed me as one of the most dangerous Christians in our in the prophetic apostolic spirit filled movement right now. They listed me as one of the one of the most dangerous because of this translation is going to change the church. I said it takes my enemies to get it. My enemies are prophesying what's what's going to happen and we bless them and they're not my enemy in that regard i'm not gonna, not going to hurt them.
0: I'm glad he's not going to hurt us. I mean, nobody thought you were going to hurt us, Brian. But the the idea, I mean, I think he would consider me his enemy because I'm coming out against his translation. I, I'm not his enemy. I hope he would hear rebuke. But the thing is, it's kind of too late to give him a private rebuke here. He's putting a translation out and piping it out to the entire Christian world. And so we need to deal with the translation and we've got to deal with it publicly. This is not a, a Matthew 18 situation by any stretch of the imagination. Um, I mean, every every translation takes liberties, Right. This is not taking some liberties. This is changing the meaning. A sect-focused translation that distorts theology in some places, adds content not in the original, sometimes uses italic, italic sometimes it just doesn't, even though it's adding things. Um, and my fear is what's coming next, because Brian has promised us that he has more revelation coming in the future. Let me share with you about John 22. This is, he, he says he has a vision where he was taken up into heaven and he saw a library. And God allowed him to take books. He won't tell us what both the books were. He, one of them, he says, is a secret and he can't tell anybody. But then he talks about how he, there's another book one day God will give him called John 22. Now, there's only 21 chapters in John. So the implication is pretty obvious what he means by that. But listen to this.
2: i to that encounter for those two books.
0: Which
1: two?
2: Well, one, uh, one I can't say. I'm not uh, released to say what that is yet. But uh, the other was uh, The Spirit of Revelation. And I believe God is wanting to pour out the spirit of revelation on his people, and I came back with a fresh infusion. Uh, one of the seven spirits of God is the spirit of revelation knowledge, the spirit of discovery. And that anointing, I know, uh, came on my life in that experience.
1: And, and so this, well, would you say this allows you to be a better teacher because of the spirit of revelation? How, how does this play out practically?
2: Well, every time I open the Bible, I get fresh insight. I, I, it speaks to me. It goes beyond the mind. I, I get uh, dreams and and revelation from from the Lord that is clear and uh, prophetic. So, uh, I think, Sid, I believe I got baptized in the Spirit, of revelation in that library room of heaven.
1: Now, there is another book that caught your eye, even though you said he said you could only have two.
2: I found a third one, and. Uh, i tried to for a moment i i know my sinfulness coming out but for a moment i thought how can i steal this book how can i get this book i've already found (laughs) i if i could only take this book it would change the world every nation would come to know jesus it would shake the world if i could get this book
1: oh i'd like that book too (laughs) Uh, and uh what was the title
2: said he, he said brian i can't let you have that book but i will another day i will bring you back one day and i will give you the book and written on the cover of the book was john 22.
1: but wait a second there's only 21 chapters in john how could that be
2: that's right the last uh, verse of chapter 21 it says john writes that if if everything jesus did was were to be written down i suppose that the earth itself could not contain the books that would be written and that's how John's Gospel ends. But I saw John 22 in the library room of heaven. And I know that is not adding to the Scriptures. I would never employ that. There's nothing more going to be added to what is written. But the works of Jesus, the John 14:12 generation of greater works, there's coming a day when a John 22 company will complete and finish and release to the earth the works of Jesus again.
0: Okay, I think that was the end of that clip. <clears throat> um, yeah. The Passion Translation. There it is. Okay, look, there's more. I could sit down and do the next probably three months worth of live streams just looking at different trend, different you know verses and stuff. He has a very particular view of Revelation. He thinks that um, the second coming is not what we think. We're wrong about the second coming, and so he's going to adjust Revelation appropriately for that. Um, he... Um, He thinks that uh, the Antichrist is different than what most people think the Antichrist is. And he thinks it's being anti the anointing of God's spirit. And so he's going to do all this stuff. And if you were to challenge Brian, uh, let me prepare you for something. If you were to challenge him, what he would probably say is, I love Jesus. I pray every day. I've heard him say this like over and over again now. I pray every day and I seek the Lord and I have a commission from God. I'm just trying to be faithful with what God's called me to do. And the thing is, none of that matters None of that matters when we can look at the actual text of scripture and say, that's not what it says. You've added to the text. When it comes to his visions and all that, look, if you were having real revelation from God, why is it different than the real revelation God has already given his people in the Holy Spirit inspired scriptures? Why is there additions? Was it not good enough before? Like either the Bible was never ultimately good enough, right? Because he had to add to it or it's good enough and we can stick with it. Um, yeah, so that's the deal. Now, what I wanna do is uh, I'm gonna go to your guys' questions. AJ, you can send me those questions and I'll do our giveaway real quick before we jump into all the, the, the Q&A. And uh, the giveaway, uh, I was trying to find a real simple way to do a giveaway. And so I'm gonna ask a question and the first person who gives a, um, a, uh, the right answer <laughs> in the comments section, um, you can't google this answer because it's totally just my preference. um you're gonna get a free bible software and we'll we'll get a hold of you and we'll contact you and give it to you um, um, so here's here's the question is gonna be um, uh, what is my favorite candy? now while you're, <laughs> while you're answering this question, um this is hopefully gonna be asked by the people who are needing a Bible software. I, I want you to answer this. If you need, I need a Bible software, go ahead and answer the question. What do you think my favorite candy is? And I will take, I'll, I'll, I'll give us like one minute on the clock for people to answer. And then, perfect, I got my clock up. And then um, if you get it, you got it. If not, I'll go with in a minute, whoever gets the closest. So let's see. Um, this is so lame. I know. Sorry. So roll those Butterfinger, Skittles, M&Ms, Snickers. Sour Patch Kids, Twix, Candy Corn. Ew, Candy Corn? That's nobody's favorite candy. What's wrong with you? Um, sour Patches, Honeycomb, Kit Kat. Don't see it yet. Licorice. No, no, no. No. Snickers. Cotton Candy Dots. Butterscotch. Oh, okay. Whoever. Hold on. Someone got it. <laughs> the Yo... Oh, I can't even read your name. The, the Yochinsians? Jo joe chinsons the joe chinsons got it gummy bears that is that is my favorite candy um definitely gummy bears all right so joe chinsons listen you're gonna get the free software i wonder if there's like a way for me to do this the joe chinsons joe chinsons um Let's see if you if put your email, if you don't mind, put your email down in the comment section so we can grab a hold of it and I can contact you and then we'll, uh, we'll, 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 do that. The Joe Chinchons, congratulations. You get the free Bible software. I hope it, I hope it blesses you. Hope it empowers you to be doing the word of God, um, uh, teaching it, understanding it better, sharing it with others. So people are still guessing. I guess that tells me how long the delay is. <laughs> so congrats guys. All right, we got a ton of questions, so let me see if I can do quick answers to your guys' questions and then we'll call it a day for this stream. Thank you so much for joining me. It's been, uh, it's been good. I hope it's been useful. Look, I'm really concerned about this translation and I, I do hope to draw awareness to it um, because I love the Word of God and I love the people of God and I think that this does a disservice to both. So Juan Polgarin says, Hey Mike, uh, why do people make, a new, make new translations that change the meaning of Scripture knowing it is one of the most dangerous things you can do? I think they genuinely think they're doing good. Look, here's the options, right? Brian is either pretending that he is getting the spiritual insight like intentionally, or he thinks he's getting it, but he's maybe being led by his own heart, his imagination, the things that excite him, the things that draw him. And so he's confusing perhaps his own heart or maybe something else with the Holy spirit. And so I think that's what's happening. I I think he's doing it. I think he's sincere. I just think he's wrong. Um, Or some people just hate God, but I don't, I wouldn't put him in that category. Um, Question from Micaiah Cox. Mike, can you, or it might be Micaiah, can you deal with the theology of Hillsong? You know, I honestly don't know the theology of Hillsong. I mean, I know a bunch of their songs, but I've never really listened much to their theology. So there's really a lot of teachers out there people ask me about where I just go, I I don't know, you know, I, I haven't paid enough attention. I do a lot of research and work before I speak openly about something like the Passion or, or anything like that. I try to make sure that I know where I'm coming from, and I'm not going to look back a year later and be like, why did I say that? You know, um, so I, I just don't know. Um, from Kaelin Van Conant, Pastor Mike, what is your opinion on the New Apostolic Reformation? They use this translation while referencing other translations as well. The church I attend encourages us to read the Passion along with the New King James or other more traditional translations. So when the Passion Translation is not solely used, is it okay? Um, Okay, the New Apostolic Reformation, I I think that, and maybe I'm wrong here, guys, I think that that terminology in AR is not the right term to umbrella the whole group that you're really thinking about. I I don't know what to call the group, so I just call them like an apostolic movement um, with signs and wonders. I don't have a special term for it. Um, So I've talked more about that in the video I did on Bethel and Bill Johnson. And you can find that online. Um, but I don't think you should use the Passion Translation at all in any way, shape, or form. Not as a secondary or tertiary Bible. Like, I think it's very unwise to use it at all. That's my honest opinion. Because of these changes. You're not, I mean, what if you don't notice? What if you don't notice the shift and the change and then you're going out and building your life based upon a poor translation? That's unfortunate. Um, okay, question from Chris Buckland. Mike, you recently switched over to the ESV from the New King James. What are your thoughts so far? Any insights to why you would recommend such a switch for those still using the New King James? Uh, What would your advice be to a Calvary Chapel pastor who currently uses New King James and is considering the ESV? Reasons to change. Okay, I'm not not settled. I'm going to settle, and when I do, it will not be on the New King James version, and the reason for that is not because it's about... It's actually good translation, but my understanding is that the texts that it's translated from are not um, not reflecting the best scholarship that we have today. I have a little playlist of videos on my channel to explain all this in great detail, so there's no demonization here, this isn't like the New Kingdom is not like the Passion, it's a good translation, you can use it, but in many places, I think that it's going to cause trouble when you're looking at the footnotes and you're going, oh, why is this not reflecting the, the newest, or I should say best understanding of scholarship? Um, so, ESV, how does it work? I, I tend to really like the ESV in the New Testament, personally. I'm, I'm, I'm not sure if I really love it in the Old Testament, so I'm not sure if I'm going to stick with it or not, but I think it's a good option. Um, and for me, it's like the Bible's so big. How long do you have to be reading and studying to really settle on a translation for years and years to come? So I'm still feeling out the ESV. That's my, that's my thought. Um, when... It comes to helping equip your students and the young people in your church for handling challenges to the Bible. When they talk about, what about the ending of Mark? And what about John chapter eight? And first John four, four, seven, when they ask those challenging questions about those passages, if they're raised on the new King James, they have not been equipped to deal with them. At least the ESV not only has uh, great texts and translations, especially the New Testament, but it also has wonderful footnotes that will equip them to handle the skeptics. And I think that's kind of important. Okay, number five, Sarah Beauchamp says, Hi, Pastor Mike, is the New Living Translation okay for comprehension, clarity, or do you consider it not good? Um, I like it, and I think it's a good idea if you want like a simple translation that just kind of tries to make things more clear. I personally really like the New Living Translation, and I very much would recommend it for that purpose. Not for like careful verse-by-verse study, but for casual reading, yes, I would. Much better choice than, say, The Passion. From Drew McLeod, does the author of this version know the original languages? Um, he does to some extent. I don't know how well he knows them, and so I don't want to comment on that. Um, Kaylin Van Conant. What does Mike think about uh, Damon Thompson in general or his revival out of South Carolina? Sorry, Kaylin, I'm not really familiar with that guy or, or what he's doing, so I can't speak to it. Um, okay, from the, the winner of, of the gummy bear question, the uh, Joe Chinsons, um, they say... Can you ask uh, Mike his opinion on the New King James versus NIV? I'm specifically interested in his opinion on the NIV. I do get into that in my video on Bible translations. I mean, if you just Google Mike Winger Bible translations, it'll pop right up. Um, so I do talk in detail about that. I, I kind of like the NIV, but I don't want to use it as the Bible I teach from for a couple of reasons, but I don't vilify it like many people do. I think calling it the not inspired version is very unwise and very reckless. Um, Think about what you're really saying about that translation. Do you really mean that? Um, It still teaches the deity of Christ. There's a lot of weird rumors about the NIV that aren't true. I have a couple problems with it, but I do express those in my video. Generally though, I think it's a very good translation. Um, But since I have other options, I'll take those options. If all I have is NIV, I would definitely teach from it. And if it was NIV or or New King James, I would probably use NIV to be honest um, because of the textual issues that I mentioned earlier. Okay, also another question, and it might be Joachinsons. I don't know. Sorry, I'm probably butchering your name. Uh, Mike, what do you think about the CSB version? Is it a good translation? Okay, so I studied the Holman Christian Standard Bible. I looked into that one. They then changed a bunch of stuff, and they printed it as the Christian Standard Bible. Since then, I haven't looked into it deeply, so I can't speak too much about it. Um, yeah, sorry. But it, it it's... Seems good. <laughs> That's all I can tell you. Uh, Tom Sawyer says, uh, hello, Mike. Can you give your opinion on the Net Bible? Um, I like the Net Bible. NetBible.org is a fantastic free research resource. Not sure if I would use it as a translation or not, as a normal translation or not. I don't know. Uh, but the resource NetBible.org is incredible. And I do recommend it. They have tons of notes and footnotes and stuff to learn from. From Arturo, Arturo Echeveria. Um, hey man, good to hear from you. Um, hey Mike, what would be your criteria for qualifying something as a solid translation or paraphrase? Uh, miss your brother. Yeah, you too man. I'm sorry I didn't get to connect with you when you were in town the other day. Um, so, criteria. I mean, it just has to be faithful to the original. It can't make claims it doesn't fulfill. It should be consistent. Um, you know, like the New Living Translation is consistent in, in that it's some somewhat more of a paraphrase, you know, but it's consistently so. And it's, I think, pretty faithful to the original. So that's got to be the biggest thing. Faithful to the original, um, you know, not sectarian in the sense where it's like pushing specific agendas to get you to believe certain theologies that where it's going to adapt the text to make that sound better, that sort of thing. There's a couple ideas for you. I'm sure there's a lot more that can be said about that. From uh, Ilsa M., question for Mike. What are your thoughts on the Passion Translation's translation of Song of Songs, um, chapter four? It's a specific question there. It has Jesus speaking to the church and calling them his equal. I didn't even get into Song of Songs. Um, Brian Simmons translated Song of Songs fairly early on, um, and it received a tons of negative criticism. And I thought that's already online, so I just didn't really even touch on that. Um, But I think, in general, what he did was he took Song of Songs, And he thought, I have an allegorical interpretation. This is about Jesus and the church. And then he pushed that interpretation into the text unjustifiably. Now, maybe it's allegorical. Maybe it's about Jesus and the church. But that doesn't mean you can change the words to make it sound more like what you want it to sound like. That's wrong. That would be my opinion. (laughs) Um, As far as Jesus and the church being equal, that's also bad theology. I haven't read that verse, so I don't know what it says. But yeah, Jesus and the church aren't aren't equal. Um, That might be part of his whole... Idea, between husbands and wives actually he might be motivated there because he really hates the wife submit concept in ephesians um, he says it's like one of his one of his like hobby horses that he's on um, so Calen van Conant says another question um, and maybe Pastor Mike will get to this but based on everything I am guessing he doesn't agree with the passion translation song of Solomon I well there may well be allegorical elements there I actually would agree with the allegorical side of things I do not agree with the way he translated it from Alan ninety nine, Mike, do you think I'd be more? It'd be more difficult to deal with individuals in the NAR now that they have this book, as opposed to dealing with Jehovah's Witnesses and their New World Translation. Well, the good news about the NAR is I don't think they're compromising the gospel. And I mean, some people are like, yes, they are, Mike. Don't say that. Maybe they, maybe they are, and I'm not aware of it. Okay, so forgive me here. I, I'll admit that I may just not know it. My current operating procedure is that the people in the group you're calling the NAR, who I wouldn't, I wouldn't call them that, but the people you're referring to, they, in my mind, are believers who love Jesus. Now the leadership, there may be questions about them, but I'm talking about the people, right? You're asking about the people. Um, When they have this Bible, over the next few years, they'll have proof texts, more and more proof texts to support their particular sect. And so it will be difficult to deal with them biblically. Um, so that will be a problem. I, I'll just acknowledge that much at least. Um, Kathy B. Good says, is the Passion Bible claiming to be a translation or a transmission? Nah, not that either makes it okay. Um, but if it's claiming translation, did he make his own critical apparatus? Um, I, I don't think he made any critical apparatus. Um, I'm pretty sure he did not do that. It's he's It's not kind of that sort of thing, you know, where he's, it's not systematic like that. He claims it's a translation, and he defends this claim. People challenge him on it. They say, that's not really a translation. He goes, yes, it is. Even a paraphrase is a translation. So he calls it a translation, and he says, for instance, um, is it a good translation for serious study? This is off their website. The Passion Translation is an excellent translation you can use as your primary text to seriously study God's word because it combines the best aspects of what's called formal and functional equivalent Bibles. It's a balanced translation, and it goes on to talk more about what it is there so yeah they definitely call it a translation and he emphasizes that quite frequently um question from private name it says please ask mike if modern prophesying equals divine biblical revelation it seems to me that the bible is clear about that it is the final authority i would agree with you 100 percent. whatever you say god's telling you the bible trumps that this is the clear revelation of god we've got it trumps that um and so there's there's no contest there between what someone's telling me God's revealing to them and what the Bible has has declared. Um, Kaylin Van Conant um, asked another question. Pastor Mike, why was the Old Testament translated as well? I've searched and couldn't find this. Why wasn't it? Couldn't find the answer. I think he just hasn't got around to it. He's, he's planning on doing all 66 books. He's going to translate the rest of the Old Testament. It's just Psalms, Proverbs, Song of Solomon. I think that's it right now. And then the New Testament. He's on it. He's on his path, doing the rest of the Old Testament. Um, will he, uh, I predict he'll never get it done <laughs> or he'll hire people to help him with it because it's a lot to do and it took him a long time to do what he already has done. But we'll see. Um, last question for tonight, Linda Richardson. Could you ask Mike if it's possible to do a general Q&A sometime as people online have so many different questions off topic? Yes, we can do that. In fact, I'm thinking we might do that very soon. So either... <sighs> Maybe even next week. I'm not sure. I can't promise just yet. I'm not. not, I don't know exactly what I'm gonna do. But, but maybe next week we'll do um, just a general Q and A. And I'll just come online, and whoever floods into the comments section can be part of it. And I'll just answer as many questions as I can from you guys. And we'll just kind of have it like a like a a loose hangout. I'll probably bring a a few thoughts that I might want to share. But I hope this has been helpful to you guys. If you know people who are using this, I'm hoping that I did this video in such a way that they might be able to sit through it and listen. Um, I went right to the text of scripture, tried to show exactly where it's wrong. My goal with this channel is to uh, reach out to the to the unsaved, but also to be a service to the Christians and to the believers, to build them up and strengthen them and to deal with oftentimes things very few people are dealing with and hopefully to deal with it in a way that makes a lot of sense. So I, I'm hoping that this, is, this has been really useful for you guys and um, something that might be worth sharing. So thank you being here thanks aj for being in the comments section it feels like we've been going for quite a while today um looking forward to uh stopping my talking (laughs) so so yes um let me get how do i do this i've got to get um i didn't even think about this ahead of time i got to get the contact info for um for the family or the people that won so hopefully aj just grabbed that and can get that to me if not um send me a message through my through my uh, contact form on babblethinker.org. Just tell me who you were and I'll know you're the one that won and we'll get you all the data for the information. So I'm, I'm sorry I didn't plan that out very well because I realize now there's so many comments in this comment stream that I don't know where your email might be. So hopefully AJ's grabbed that. Anyways, God bless you guys. It's been a good time with you. I look forward to uh, next time.